Hello again. Welcome back to the Luck Sai podcast, a podcast to reignite your wonder by exploring the intersection of science and luxury. I'm Dr. Lex, PhD, infectious disease expert, podcast host, and lover of a good holiday tradition. This episode is one of a small series that I'll be doing spanning December and maybe into January, all around holiday items. It's a festive time of year, and that calls for festive topics. So for our fourth episode, I dug deep into a personal holiday tradition that has a very special significance for me. So the Feast of St. Nicholas is celebrated on December 6th every year by uh, several different Christian denominations around the world, including the one that I belong to. So growing up, every December 5th, we would put our shoes in front of the fireplace in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. So St. Nicholas was a real bishop in the early Christian church. He was known for his care of the poor, and one notable tale from his life includes leaving gold coins to help a family in need. And this morphed over time to leaving gold coins in stockings that were hung by a fire, and has become part of the traditional Santa Claus lore in the Western world, but is celebrated separately by several different Christian denominations. And so you would leave your shoes in front of the fireplace and the next day St. Nicholas would have left little presents and sometimes chocolate coins. Every year in our house growing up, there was an orange in our shoes from St. Nicholas. And I wondered why that was. It seemed like such a simple thing. And, you know, especially around the holidays with all the treats, wasn't particularly interesting to a small child. When I was a little bit older, I found out the reason why there was always an orange. I got the opportunity to interview my grandmother for a school project and to talk to her about what her life was like living in New York City in the Depression. And among the stories she shared was the sheer joy she and her brother experienced waking up to see an orange in their shoes for St. Nicholas Day. At the time, an orange was a truly extravagant purchase, such a rare, fresh, tropical fruit in the heart of the tenements of New York City in the middle of the winter. So the oranges always showed up in our shoes growing up as a reminder to cherish the simple things in life. And our episode today is all about oranges as a reminder for all of us that luxury comes from anywhere, especially during this holiday season. So it turns out that the history of both the orange fruit and its name are quite fascinating. Sweet oranges, Citrus sinensis, are actually a hybrid of a mandarin and a pomelo, which is an ancestor of a grapefruit. Oranges originated from southern China, northern India, Myanmar region, and the first record of a sweet orange was in Chinese literature in 314 BC. What's fascinating about sweet oranges is that they are not a wild fruit. They are a cross between a non-pure mandarin and a hybrid pomelo, but they are not a wild cross, they are a domesticated cross. We've been domesticating and crossing citrus fruits for centuries, and it's mostly because many citrus fruits are infertile, so you have a lot of crossbreeding to try to make a fruit that will bear a seed that you can actually plant and grow another tree from. Bitter oranges, by contrast, did arise in the wild as a cross between a pure mandarin and a pomelo. Now, oranges are a big deal. Seven million tons of oranges were grown worldwide in 2019, with Brazil being the biggest producer at around 22% of the global market. 
The word for orange comes from the Sanskrit word for orange tree, naranga, which may sound familiar to people who speak Spanish where the word is similar. The English word comes from the Old French orange, which was based on the Arabic word narang, which we've heard before, this uh, old Arabic to Old French to English journey of a word. Interestingly, it's believed that Portuguese merchants were the first to introduce the sweet orange to some parts of Europe, so the fruit is named for those merchants in the local languages, an example being portakali, which is orange in Greek. Now, we're going to start with a super secret scientist trick. The review article. I love a review article. Review articles are where scientists look at all the literature for a particular corner of science and write an article that's a review of that literature, putting it all together to define the landscape of scientific research in an area. And they are awesome. If you're looking to delve into a new area of science that you don't know a lot about, a review article is a fantastic way to get started to see the lay of the land and where the research may still have gaps in it or where where the research has led. And it's essentially like somebody went to the library and read all through all of those articles for you and put it together in a very nice synopsis. So I found a review article about the chemistry and pharmacology of oranges. You know, they said above, oranges are a huge global business. So, of course, there's going to be some research into them. Now, this review article is from my now favorite journal, Molecules, and it was written by Dr. Favela Hernandez and team in 2016. The review article is focused on citrus sinensis, the sweet oranges. So, biologically, sweet orange trees are evergreen flowering trees with large spines on the branches. I did not know about the spines. That's an interesting twist. And anatomically, oranges consist of two distinct regions, the peel, called the pericarp, and the pulp with the juice sacs called the endocarp. In addition, the skin has an epicuticular wax that contains a large amount of aromatic oil glands, hence the particular orange smell. Now, every part of an orange contains chemicals that have been implicated to have positive outcomes. So in this review article, there's a great table breaking down every type of compound, where it was isolated geographically, and the plant organ it originates from. Some examples of types of chemical compounds found in oranges are flavonoids. So these are polyphenols found in fruits and vegetables, poly meaning many, and phenols denoting the particular chemical compound group that has six carbons, five hydrogens, and one OH group. In plants, flavonoids are involved in flower coloration, producing yellow and red flowers, but also have other jobs such as UV filtration or chemical messaging. Oranges contain carbohydrates or sugars, which I don't think would be surprising to anybody considering how sweet they are. They also contain volatile organic compounds. So when I think volatile organic compounds or VOCs, I think of them in association with something like paint, which smells. It has a pretty nasty smell, right? And volatile organic compounds are compounds that have high vapor pressures at room temperature and that are responsible for odors and scents. But they are responsible not just for scents that we don't like. They're also responsible for scents that we do like, like perfumes. And in plants, they're very important as they act as signaling molecules and to attract pollinators. 
In addition, there are some specific chemicals that were called out in this review article, such as hexane, chloroform, and acetone, which is found in the peel. And that may sound like a scary list of chemicals. You know, I, you know, growing up, you're here, don't drink the nail polish remover, right? Acetone doesn't seem like something that we should be eating all the time, but they can be helpful. And as my chemist friends are fond of saying, it's all about the dose. So anything can be helpful or benign depending on the dose. So let's get into some of these effects of these chemicals that are found in oranges. One interesting effect of the oil extracted from the orange leaves is insecticidal activity. This was tested against the Culex pipiens mosquito and there were two compounds that offered protection from the bites of those mosquitoes for around two hours which is pretty good. I'm not entirely sure how long a spritz of off lasts, but two hours seems like a pretty decent duration. The extracts of the orange peels were also shown to have potency against the mosquitoes, houseflies, and cockroaches themselves. While some of the studies listed in this review found that control compounds were more potent than the orange extract for insecticide, this area of research has huge potential for providing alternative insecticide treatments for both home and agriculture. The challenge with these treatments is usually potency, aka how much of the compound is needed to see an effect. Industrial insecticides are very concentrated, so a little goes a long way, and that's not what you usually find in nature. You know, if you look at a whole orange and you look at the chemical composition of a whole orange, you will see there's a little bit of a lot of things. But it's still promising research that I hope will continue. Now, having been a parasitologist in a previous iteration of my career, I was very interested to, in to see a paragraph about antiparasitic activity in this orange review. So in in vitro tests with trypanosoma parasites, these parasites can cause shock disease or sleeping sickness. Orange extracts showed weak antiparasitic anti activity, leading to parasite deaths in vitro in three minutes or five minutes, depending on the species. This was slower than the positive control, which led to parasite death in two minutes. And this is an ongoing area of research, but one that has a lot of promise given the toxicity associated with some of the current trypanosome agents. And finally, you know, this 2021 has also been a stressful year. You know, maybe some of you listening have had some anxiety or problems getting to sleep. So patients, dental patients, were exposed to essential oils from Citrus sinensis, and it had a relaxing and sedative impact on those dental patients. And there was a study where 40 male volunteers were given different dosages of sweet orange oil to inhale. They were then submitted to a anxiety model, so a series of exposures designed to induce anxiety in these participants. Those that had inhaled the oil orange oil demonstrated no increase in anxiety after the exposure. So they had no increase in heart rate or any of those kinds of symptoms after this anxiety-inducing exposure if they had, had inhaled the orange oil. So maybe if you can't get to sleep or are feeling a little anxious, try smelling some orange oil. Um, just don't go sniffing the oranges in the grocery store. That, that might not end well. So how you know, the review article is great, but how do the scientists discover some of the impacts of orange or, and oranges and the compounds that are in the oranges? 
One of the ways they can do that in the laboratory is to use what are called model organisms. And one of the most prevalent model organisms that is used are C. elegans worms. And not that we have everything in common with a worm, but there are some common uh, pathways in worms and humans or mice and humans. So in a 2019 study published in the Journal of Oxidative Medicine and Cellular Longevity, the authors of the paper looked at the effects of orange juice on C. elegans worms. Now we're going to pause and remember from our last episode where we talked about oxidation and what that was, which is a loss of electrons. Okay, now that we remembered that, let's keep going. So these researchers took these worms in the lab and exposed them to either 10% cara-cara orange juice or 10% regular orange juice in the culture media where the worms live in the lab. They looked for the formation of radical oxygen species as a way to indicate antioxidant behavior. They looked to see what RNA in the worms was differentially expressed with the different culture conditions. More genetic sequencing, told you it would come up again. And uh, additional experiments to see the impact of the orange juice on the worms. They found that the cara-cara orange juice had more antioxidant activity in the worms, and this led to increased longevity in the worms. You know where you always hear that such and such a thing, um, acai berries are superfoods, and it's because they have all these antioxidants and supposed to help you live longer, right? So this is where the beginnings of those kinds of hypotheses come about. As you're in the lab and you see this effect, you put this orange juice on a worm, and the worm lives longer and then you look at why it might live longer and you see increased antioxidant activity. So you can kind of start seeing the pathway between that basic research and what impact it might have on human health. And while both of the orange juices had an impact on these worms, the cara-cara orange juice was significantly better. If you've seen a cara-cara orange, they're very red and more red usually means more antioxidants in the juice. So in this case, the scientists are using a model organism to find out potential mechanism of actions or ways things work for the compounds in orange juice. It's pretty neat, huh? And now it's time for the section of our podcast to talk about something fun or environmental or both. And in this case, it's both. So the last episode, I started talking a bit about the environmental impact of luxury items since environmental science is a science. And I'm going to leave aside the potential environmental impact of the agricultural industry and talk instead about food waste. The biggest producer of orange juice in the world is Brazil, which exports 99% of its juice. Interestingly, the U.S. consumes 90% of the juice that's produced here. With this production comes a high degree of waste of the byproducts of the juice production, so peels, pulp, seeds, etc. It's estimated that in Brazil, 40 to 50% of the byproducts of orange juice production are discarded every year. And this is a shame because, as we've learned, there are very helpful chemicals in all parts of the orange. So a group at the State University of the Midwest in Brazil, led by Flavia Teixeira, wanted to know if some of the byproducts of orange juice production could be put back into the food chain. And to do this, they put some of the orange peel back into jam. They chose jam because it is what they call a high acceptance food. You know, lots of people like jam. It's good. Fun side fact, France has the highest production and consumption of jam with 4,000 tons of jam produced annually. And according to our good friends at Bon Appetit, the main difference between a jelly and a jam is that jelly is made only with the fruit juice, while as jam is made with chopped up pieces of the whole fruit. 
But back to the oranges. The researchers made orange jam with 0, 4, 8, or 12% orange peel added to the jam. And they had 128 untrained jam consumers. Seriously, who are the trained jam consumers? Can I get trained to be a jam consumer? That sounds like an awesome job. Anyway, these untrained jam consumers rated the different orange jams on appearance, aroma, taste, color, texture, and overall acceptance using a nine-point scale. They also rated their purchase intent on a five-point scale, you know, one being not going to buy it ever, five being going to go out and get it right now. Not surprisingly, the jam with the 12% orange peel fared the worst with the lowest scores in all categories, this being that orange peels are rather bitter, and so it imparted a unwanted bitter taste to have 12% orange peel in the jam. Surprisingly, all the jams scored about the same on the acceptability index. The researchers put the different jams through a variety of tests to characterize both the physical properties like texture, color, adherence, moisture content, etc. and the nutritional properties of the different jams. They found that the addition of the orange peel increased the nutritional content of the jams by adding proteins, lipids, aka fats, dietary fiber, ascorbic acid, carotenoids, phenolic compounds, etc. to the jam, and also increased the jam's antioxidant capabilities. The added peel did decrease the carbohydrate and energy content of the jam and did lead to some off-color and texture parameters. Their overall conclusions were that the orange peel could be added to the jam up to 8% and not negatively impact consumer acceptability and would increase the nutritional content of the jam and lead to some diversion of orange byproducts from juice production. So that's not all there is to know about oranges, but that's a lot of what there is to know about oranges. And I hope that you've enjoyed this trip through a relatively everyday item and I really enjoyed learning more about oranges. So for our glossary for today we have two words, flavonoids which are polyphenols found in fruits and vegetables that are usually responsible for the color. To use it in a sentence, look at all the flavonoids that are in the cranberry juice in my cosmopolitan. And secondly, volatile organic compounds. These are compounds responsible for odors and scents. To use it in a sentence, that's a lovely collection of volatile organic compounds you're wearing tonight. You smell very nice. Anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of Luxi. A very special thank you to my audio engineer, Demos. Our theme music is Harlequin Mood by Birdie. If you have a correction, comment, or suggestion for a topic, you can reach me at drlex at luxsci.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram at luxsci.pod, and our website is luxsci.podcast.io. If you like us, please subscribe and please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll see you again in two weeks.